everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I am your host, Taylor Rockwell. The legendary Daryl Grove is not with me today, so I'm instead going to be joined by a legend of a different kind. It's Mr. Steve Cherundolo. We met Steve when we were in Germany. Uh, he was really, really candid about life in Germany, about his time with the national team, about his thoughts on the future of Americans in the Bundesliga, many, many other topics. He was great to get to chat with, and we wanted to talk with him about those things and many other topics on the show. So that's exactly what we did. Uh, so I will turn it over to me asking questions to former captain of Hanover, made 87 appearances for the U.S. men's national team, Mr. Steve Gerundolo. With me on the other end of the line, uh, all the way from Germany, I'm assuming, I've got uh, a national team legend, the mayor of Hanover. It's Steve Gerundolo. Hello, Steve. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, you are welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, for folks who are newer to soccer, uh, we should clarify that Steve went to, I believe, three World Cups, played his entire career uh, at Hanover in Germany, has since moved into coaching. He also put up with me peppering him with questions on a fairly consistent basis while we were in Germany. Uh, so thank you for that as well, Steve. It was a blast. <laughs> I, I can tell by the level of enthusiasm there. Um, but uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on the U.S. national team. I wanted to get your thoughts on Americans in the Bundesliga. But I first uh, wanted to start uh, with a bit about your background. Um, how old were you when you moved to Germany? I was 19, um, almost 20, when I first moved to Germany. Um, just, yeah, just after my third semester in college. And... And as far as I understand, like you were are from Southern California, didn't really have much experience with Germany, did not speak German, were maybe not quite prepared for the the weather that you were walking into. Uh, what was that experience like when you first went there? When you first signed for Hanover? Um, yeah, it was a kind of a scary experience. Um, you know, when I first got off the plane, I remember from my 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 trial week that was in December of '98. Um, snow everywhere. Which is fine. I've obviously been skiing prior to that uh, in California. We have mountains as well with uh, some, some decent snow. So it wasn't the snow, but it was more playing soccer on snow. That that was new to me. Uh, and then your first trial at a professional team in Europe, um, that was a little nerve-wracking. But um, nonetheless, um, it worked out. So I was very happy to get that experience uh, behind me really quickly. And I was I was reading uh, an interview with you from like a year or, or year and a half ago. Uh, you were talking about basically your coach uh, said to you like that you essentially had six games to show you belonged, and then maybe that would be it. Uh, is, is that really the case that you were like sort of told six games make it happen? Um, it, I think it changes. Really, it all depends on the. I mean, that was a youth coach of mine mm-hmm. uh, who was who was uh, a player as well in England um, and a coach of the professional ranks in England as well. Uh, Garrick Armstrong was his name. Is his name, and um, you know he said to me, "You have, you have to make a quick impression, a good impression, because uh, the moment the sub club sign you, that's the moment they're trying to replace you." So, um, it, you know, whether it's six, three, four, um, who knows? It's hard to put a number on it, but the number of games you are going to get as a new player and the amount of credit you have as a new player is definitely limited. And I think, um, you know, the the higher or the more resources the club has, I think that the less time you have. But if you, if you get yourself into a situation, this is my you know, my advice to a young player, get yourself into a situation where the club needs you, where they, they have to play you. And that always that turns out to be a good situation. And do you remember the first moment when you feel like, okay, like I've made it? Like, not that you were necessarily complacent, but when you felt like, okay, I maybe I'm going to be here for a while. It seems like they like me. Um, yeah, certainly when you extend your first contract, um, then, you, then you know for sure they like you and it's a good fit and it could be a long-term fit. Um you know, but nowadays this game is changing so fastly and so, and so rapidly. It's, it's really hard to, to ever be sure, and, and things can change within a matter of weeks. So I think 
um, the best advice, to, you know, in this area would be um, never really to to rely on your on your past performances and always try to uh, put out a better one the following game. Uh, so when you're talking about how it's changed, can you talk a little bit specifically about how you feel like the Bundesliga has evolved from when you first started playing to now? And then I'm also wondering if you think that with that change has come with maybe more ease for uh, foreign players, or in this case specifically American players coming over. Do you think it's gotten less challenging or slightly more uh, hospitable, slightly easier to deal with? Well, I think you know the biggest change um, has come um, came after the World Cup was in Germany in 2006. All of the stadiums prior to that, 2004 and five and six, were the years they were all being rebuilt. So, this big on the infrastructure of the league and the organization of the league, um, you know, as of 2006, has been fantastic and it's top notch. Um, and then, obviously, throughout the years, this is not exclusive to the Bundesliga, but the financials have have considerably risen, um, which enables clubs to make. Or to to work more professionally and uh, you know and to broaden their horizon as far as uh, discovering new talents and I think this is um, something that can benefit and has benefited you know the American market American player there are more clubs scouting and watching. This is maybe like a, a chicken or the egg sort of question, but like, is it that there's like, like, uh, like Americans have come in there and proven that they can belong? Like, is it that Americans have proven that they can like raise their technical game, or is it sort of that once one American has success, maybe teams are more likely to kind of continue to give them opportunities? Essentially, I guess I'm wondering why, if you have an explanation or if you have a theory as to why it seems like the Bundesliga has become sort of the destination for young Americans who want to make that jump to Europe. Well, I think for obvious reasons, there are some work permit issues um, going to going to England. I think that would be a good fit, too. But I think it's difficult for young Americans to go to England um, regarding work permits. And Germany um, does not have these laws in place. So it's definitely, um, on the organizational side of things, much easier to go to the Bundesliga. But I also believe this type of, the type of um, soccer being played here fits really well with the American mentality. Um, so they never give up mentality and they're always trying to better himself and they're really giving it all on a, on a daily basis, which is very appreciated by the members here. Um, and I think that is probably the biggest uh, biggest difference between the Bundesliga and the other top leagues in Europe is, is really the closeness to the fans. And uh, I think the fans feel that and see that and American players appreciate it and give the American player in the beginning the benefit of that when things don't go his way, which I think is a great, a great tool to have in your, you know, your bag. Uh, and have any of those players been named mayor of their respective towns yet, or is that still just an honor that's reserved for you? Well, I'm hoping a few are working on it. So, <laughs> uh, not the last. Uh, I would certainly uh, pass on my title um, to our friend Toe if uh, if he does his hand over and uh, long career here. I would definitely love to. Uh, I think I, we we broke up a little bit there. Were you talking about Sebastian Soto? Sebastian. Okay, gotcha. Who who is the player that you think like is most uh, like like the fans enjoy the most like in terms of an American playing in the Bundesliga? Is there one that seems to have kind of uh, bred in well with the fans or gotten along particularly well with them? Well, I think two right now are, are really sticking out. I think Graf um, uh, Ragnar has done really well. His goal scoring capabilities in, in Bremen and it's. Uh, Raymond always loves a young player coming up through the second team, um, like like uh, Josh did, and uh, obviously now finding his rhythm in the first team. Um, and I also think you know Weston McKinney is also one that's done excellent. Um, and the fans love his energy; they love his his never never give up attitude. Um, those are two players I'd point out. But I think you know one that's 
unfortunately due to injuries, he's kind of off the radar right now. But um, Tyler Adams is mm-hmm. is uh, you know has all the tools that you need to be successful in the Golden State. And I think he's going to have a really nice career. And is there anything like those players can do aside from working very hard, having successful games, playing well? Like, is there stuff that players need to do? Do you feel like, especially in Germany, where there is that connection to further endear themselves to fans so that they have maybe more of a uh, warm reception and warm relationship? Absolutely. Um, I think being open and, and integrating yourself into the you know into the culture, um, learning the language, just um, being yourself and being a normal human being outside of any facility at the stadium. I think the fans really appreciate that. And um, that's something that I would definitely recommend to every player. And it certainly made my time here much easier in the beginning. And um, it will make your time in Germany much more enjoyable, the the better you are, more involved and integrated you are into the society. And then I'm assuming also another thing that uh, Americans could do to maybe make their... Uh, transition into playing the Bundesliga slightly smoother would be to maybe improve their kind of tactical reading of the game, their in-game understanding of the game. I, f- I think I've heard you talk about that before, or read you talk about that before, rather, is I guess a better way to put it. Is that still an area that you think is a little bit deficient when it comes to Americans and their ability to adjust to a league like uh, the Bundesliga? Um, yeah, there is an adjustment period just because the game is played uh, played a little differently here than it is in the United States, um, and, and I'm not and I'm not uh, judging by any way. There's not I'm not saying one is better or the other, uh, but it is a little different. And I think players who have the capabilities to learn quickly and to adjust quickly um, will have more success with um, and certainly early on. Um, and I think that's something that's very important. And most of the differences that I've seen that I experienced in myself have been the tactical uh, experiences. I think you know, your average American player is physically um, well equipped to compete at a very high level here, technically as well. Um, and on the mental side of the game also. So I think the last little bit or the component of the game that um, you know one needs to kind of catch up on a little bit or at least learn this style play is the tactical side. Is there a way that Americans could be doing that at home? like, uh, Or is that something that it really requires you being around that kind of next-level opponent to be able to raise your game effectively? Well, I think watching German soccer will help a ton. You know, there are some, some of those people, some of us are, are, are visual learners and can kind of, Learn by, by you know watch the game and, and have role models and kind of learn from that. That's one part of it. Um, analyzing games, um, you know, from from a computer screen or a TV screen, um, what have it. And the other part is um, you know is is putting yourself in an environment in the United States to play high quality games at a regular basis. And I think that's the key. I think a lot of these young German players have um, you know week in and week out a top notch game um, from the age of 16 to 18, and I think that's something that uh, uh, we can approve on the United States. Much more still to come from my conversation with Steve Chirundolo. But first, uh, if you are feeling anxious about the future of the U.S. men's national team, if you're uncertain about the future and it has you up late at night worrying and pacing and all that bad stuff, then today's sponsor is for you. It's our friends over at Feels, F-E-A-L-S. Feels is a better way to feel better. Their premium CBD will keep your head clear and help you feel your best. It's been proven to greatly reduce anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. So again, if you're feeling sleepless, 
anxious, painful about the men's national team, then you can have some feels and you'll feel better. Because navigating the world of CBD can definitely be complicated, but it is the case that navigating the world of CBD can be complicated. You've got different products at different gas stations, and it always seems sort of not legit. Uh, At Feels, they make the process as simple as possible so you can start feeling better sooner. If you're new to CBD, Feels offers a free CBD hotline and tech support to help guide you through the discovery process, but they can guarantee you that there's no high, there's no hangover, there's no addiction. It's just there to make you feel better. You place a few drops of Feels under your tongue. You feel the difference within minutes. It acts that quickly. Feels has us feeling our best every day, and it can help you do the same, especially when we're bummed out about the national team. Maybe Feels comes in and helps us feel a little bit better. You can become a member today by going to feels.com slash TSS, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash TSS to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order. Feels.com slash TSS. Thank you very much to our friends over at Feels for sponsoring today's episode and making us all feel better about the state of the national team. Now, with that in mind, back to my conversation with Steve Chirondolo. Uh, so you, uh, last uh, we spoke, I believe you were in the process of getting your UEFA Pro license, maybe with an eye towards helping uh, Americans get to that next level. Uh, where are you in the UEFA Pro license process? We're about halfway. The first exam exams um, finished, so I'm happy to have that uh, uh, finished. Um, so yeah, I think we have a Christmas break coming up shortly. There's two more weeks of school and then Christmas break, and then it's just really... Um, Freshening up and more work in in areas of psychology and uh, and uh, nutrition, and then uh, it's a lot of testing, two months of testing, and then we're finished. So you really are like a full on student. You get a holiday break and everything. That's nice. Yes, I am a, a college student again. My mother is very pleased with me. <laughs> so what what were the first exams like? Like, were you up all night cramming? Is it that sort of exam, or is it more of a a practical? They want to see your approach to training or something like that. Uh, no, it was a written exam. Um, the, the practical exams—they um, were—they're coming, uh, I think, in February and March. Uh, but they're always ongoing. It's always you're always being examined uh, during the UEFA Pro license. Um, the first exams were written, um, and thankfully they all had to do with the game of soccer. So it wasn't too uh, too crazy. Um, there was a lot of crowd because of some terminology and just the order of the words they like to put things into. So yeah, there was cramming. It actually reminded me of my days back in uh, back in the dorm. So it was oh, nice. kind of nice. Good. And then from like a coaching philosophy standpoint, are there coaches that you find yourself self sort of gravitating towards from their either the way they they like to play their tactics or just their managerial style? Are there coaches who you are sort of seeking to emulate in bits and pieces? Um, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's it's a mix of coaches. Um, you know, I think a lot of ex pros kind of bank on that of taking a little bit of each coach they've had to grow it up. Um, you know, and as we get older and, and uh, hopefully wiser, um, you know, you start to make new impressions or you start to, uh, um, look at other coaches and travel around. You know, I've been doing some work with Bruce Dortmund, uh, and begin the season during preseason with them. I was able to watch the trainings and ask questions, how they work. But their coach, Lucian Fargo, who I, a big fan of, of the tactical side of the game and, and really the d- detailed coaching he gets into with this group. Um, but I also look at another ex-coach of mine, um, Ralph Rangnick, mm-hmm. um, who was also tactically very, very sound. and sees the game a very different than Luciano Fava. So taking kind of a mix of the two, and then obviously I was um, blessed with some great coaches in the United States in the youth program with the Nomads and Derek Armstrong, and obviously college with uh, Clive Charles. So there's been... Uh, and you know, obviously, I don't want to forget the national team with Ziggy 
uh, Schwitz, um, and Bob Bradley, and Bruce Arena. So there's been a lot of coaches who have influenced me, and, and really it's just like a puzzle, taking a little bit from each one and trying to find what works best for you to, but at the end of the day, you really have to make sure it's still authentic. But if you're taking over a, a team like tomorrow, what does a Steve Tarundolo team look like? What are the tactics? What are the tenets of Dolo Ball, is I guess what I'm asking. Dolo Ball, okay, that's an interesting term. I like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think um, kind, of, kind of what I said there, I just rambling on. I think what's going to happen, what we're going to see is, what I would like to see is a, a, well, a well-balanced aside. They can... Um, they will be present in all four phases of the game. Whether we have the ball, we've lost the ball, uh, we've won the ball, or we don't have the ball. I think it's um, just decision-making at all moments of the game to give give ourselves the best chance to win a game. I don't think um, I want to coach my teams very strong in one phase of the game. I don't want to um, kind of be stamped off as a uh, uh, transition coach or just a defensive coach or just an offensive coach. So it's really a well-balanced group. And that's what I'm diving to achieve. And you came back and coached a little bit uh, when Dave Sarakin was interim manager in 2018. Uh, what was that process like? And was it a little bit surreal to suddenly be on the coaching side as opposed to being on the playing side of the national team? Um, yes and no. I mean, the U.S. national team was a very familiar atmosphere uh, environment for me. And it was great to be back. I loved playing for the team. And it was, it was a wonderful opportunity um, you know, that, Dave, that Dave gave me. Um, to be with his staff for a couple of games, and I really enjoyed it. So yes, it was at some point different being on the coaching side because there were some players that I had played with, uh, namely Brad Guzan. Um, to give you one example, so it, yeah, there's a little difference there, but we're all adults, and we, we can we can deal with that. But um, for the most part, the U.S. National Team, like I said, is a very familiar environment for me, so it was it was more of a a pleasure than it was a burden. Mm-hmm. So you played, as you said, with Brad Guzan. You also played a little bit with Greg Berhalter. Uh, what was he like as a player, and what was he like in the locker room as a player? Greg was uh, an excellent player on the training field and on the game as well. Very intense, um, um, great mentality, a uh, great student of the game. Um, I think you see a lot of that in his coaching, um, as far as I can tell from the outside looking in. Um, you know, Very analytical, very, very technical um, and it's really the type of soccer he's played, and especially the last two games, um, he was a player as well. So it was, um, he is very authentic, mm-hmm. and um, I like the way he's doing things. Was he was he a, like a get hyped sort of guy, or was he like the quiet? Uh, it's it's game time, and I'm not speaking kind of guy. No, Greg is very vocal. Okay, and I think a lot of coaches are vocal. Uh, he was he was vocal as a player, and he is now. Um, you know, it was always one, you know, always stated opinion, um, um, which was great and uh, definitely a, a, an important part of the group um, back then, prior to the 2002 World Cup. And um, you know, an excellent guy in the locker room, but also somebody who's very important for um, the atmosphere on the training pitch as well. So uh, that was, as I said, a year ago back in 2018. It's been a year since then. How much progress or what type of progress do you think the U.S. men's program has made in that time under Burhalter? Mm, pretty difficult to say. Um, you know, I think, I think um, if you look at just the results, I think there have been um, some ups and downs on that end. But I think if you, if you look at what Greg and staff and Ernie are trying to achieve, it's completely playing a, 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 a different style, a different style of soccer and, and, and uh, Dominating with the ball and and uh, kind of make it, creating a new brand, um, it's it's a huge mountain to climb. And I think uh, 
what we all need to be is patient, and I think we give the time and the resources to achieve that because it's um, it is it is a long haul, and things don't happen overnight. Do you think that style, like, because there has been some concern that that style might be easier to implement at club level than at national team level? Do you buy into that, or do you think it is just a matter of it takes time, but eventually we can get there? Um, no, I believe if you if you have a goal and um, you work towards that goal and you use the proper resources and uh, through you know through selection of players, I think you can achieve that goal. I don't think that's that's an issue. Um, you know, whether it's it's realistic we can maintain that goal for the next 30 years and that will be our style of soccer, I don't know. I do not have a glass ball I can look mm-hmm. into. Um, but uh, it's it's a process that um, is definitely engaging and, and interesting, so I think it's something that uh, we need to follow very closely over the next few years. We, we get like questions about past national teams and how they chalk up against the current national team a lot, uh, but I've never had the opportunity to ask a player from one of those past national teams. I think that 2002 squad, uh, I know you had some injuries there, but if you were fully fit, I assume you would have been uh, heavily involved. Um, that 2002 squad, though, so many people look to it as this, uh, like as maybe one of the best performing teams, one of the best teams the U.S. has put together for a World Cup. Uh, I guess, first question, do you sort of agree with that team holding that status? And second, I guess, do you feel comfortable with that team sort of like shouldering the burden of like, this was this team that played such great, exciting soccer. Why can't we do that anymore? Do you feel like that team justified that feeling or maybe was it a bit more like counterattacking and uh, good results make us have a more rosy outlook on that squad? Yeah, I think what happens is when you, when you talk about past results um, and, and careers of players, um, you tend to only think about the positive things. And uh, I, I, personally remember games where you know we were in Europe in the middle of March it was called against top European teams um, where we didn't see much of the ball and when we did have the ball we didn't do much with it so um, I think it's so difficult to to really compare the game is different the group of players are different um, so hard to compare so I can't answer that but um, it was a very well balanced team um, there was a good mix of young players and a younger generation coming through um, Throw myself in there with Carlos Bocanegra and Tim Howard, um, coming through with the older guys like Claudio and Casey, um, and Greg, obviously. Um, so there was a really good mix of, of, of two generations. And I think maybe this is the problem of the past couple of years is there really hasn't been that, you know, that, that handoff of generations where that happened to, um, from 2006 to 2006 to 210. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe that is a little bit of the issue that was going on with U.S. soccer. Um, but it's, like I said, impossible to compare teams from, what is that, 17 years ago? Yeah, yeah, a little bit, yeah. Well, so do you have an idea yeah. then about why maybe that handoff uh, hasn't gone as smoothly, why there has been, uh, not necessarily a talent gap, but why it hasn't been a, a like transition from this generation of very good players to the next generation of very good players? Well, it's one of two things. It's either um, that we don't have the players or um, we didn't select the right players. Um, it's one of the two. But um, um, I cannot tell you what it is because I was not on the decision-making process. And from looking from the outside in, I think it's really difficult to say. Mm-hmm. So then what about you going forward? Is that is that a position you would like to be in? Would you like to maybe get involved in coaching at a youth national team level with an eye towards the senior gig at some point? Well, absolutely. I would not, at this point, um, uh, cancel anything out or, or um, cross anything off the list. Um, I, I'd love to be part of the U.S. national team program. And, uh, you know, if if both sides profit from that in the future, then, then I'm all for it. So, um, 
who knows what the future holds. I'm assuming this wasn't like on the exam question, but I'm going to ask you: like, is there a, a dream job that you would you would most love? Would it be the national team? Would it be Bayern Munich? Would it be somebody else? Would it just be managing Hanover for 15 years? Um, this was not on the exam. Um, actually, I would have, it's a good question. Maybe I'll, I'll ask our instructor if we can do that for next year's okay. class. But um, I I do not have a dream job. Um, I think I think. It's hard to put a name on a job, but what I what I can say is I can maybe describe it. I would love to be a part of a program, a club or a program. It could be a federation where um, you have the opportunity to develop something over a long period of time. Um, long period of time is is relative in this in this business, but um, at least for a couple of years. That's something that I would love to be a part of. Um, what I'm not interested in is jumping from one thing to another every six to eight months. Mm-hmm. That's something that does not really interest me. So it's definitely long-term projects where we can really achieve something um, and move a club, a group, a program in the right direction. Uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I had a question for you about how you kind of watch soccer because I, I don't know. It, it, it tends to be like one of two things with people who watch soccer a lot who played soccer that it's either like the they're super into it. They want to watch every single game. There was a story in The Athletic about Thierry Henry, how he watches everything whenever there's soccer on. He's into it versus a player like Clint Dempsey, who was more of a like, I'm done playing and now I'm going to go do whatever I want. Like, where do you fall in that in that corner, sort of grouping? Are you watching a lot of soccer and when you're watching it are you watching it constantly from like what are they doing tactically and how are they evolving and how are they adjusting or are you more of a like i'll watch it if it's on but it's my job and when it's not my job i want to do other stuff no i'm watching everything i can i'm constantly watching um anything and everything um as much as i can and yes i cannot turn my analytical brain off so the first minutes are figuring out what are they doing um what's the what are their ideas what's their game plan is it working? Is it not working? What changes would I make? Uh, what changes do they make? And so further. And at some point, um, you can turn that off and just watch as a fan. But um, certainly not in the first 15 minutes of any match I'm watching. And it doesn't matter what level. And, and last question then, are there things that when you're watching these, the current U.S. men's national team, you're looking for or you're particularly enjoying or you're trying to identify in what they're doing? Sure. I mean, there's, there's all the things you're looking for. You're looking for patterns of, you know, how they're building up and, and you know, how they're trying, what's their idea of how to score goals and where they're trying to break the opponents down, what spaces they're using on the defensive end. Um, you know, where's their strategy as far as winning the ball back and, and, uh, maintaining, uh, possession and, dom- and dominating the game. So yeah, there's, uh, certain keys to each phase of the game that I look for, um, that you can definitely see what the coach is trying to achieve. So yes, there's, uh, I think those are the ones that I mentioned, things that I'm looking for, you know, the US team when I watch them. Uh, an actual final question. You may, you may, you may not like answer it directly. That's fine if you don't want to. But with the current national team, are there certain players that you find yourself sort of gravi- gravitating toward for whatever reason? Of like, that's my guy. That's the guy I love seeing on that team. Or those are the guys that I really enjoy watching. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, uh, I was a defender, and I think I still. Um, I'm a defender at heart. You remember they told me a five against five against you and your, and your pals. So um, <laughs> I, I really, you know, I really like, I really enjoy watching Aaron Long play. And now we know it's a genius best. I think it's another guest. It's another player. It's a really exciting player coming up. But then, you know, um, having played with offensive talents as well, like Vince, you know, Lana Donovan, you know, Christian Polisic has done an excellent job of, over the past couple of weeks in, in, in England. He's an excellent, exciting player. Um, so those are a few names that I'm, you know, that I'm really excited 
about in the future and that I also uh, tend to look at uh, closer. There we are. Well, Steve, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, both today and when we are in Germany. As I said, uh, taking the time to answer all the questions, play, playing uh, five aside was was a pretty solid experience. I can say with some confidence that you remained very, very good and, and were uh, uh, more than capable of holding off, like, I think, four players at once. So Steve still got it, if people are wondering that. Yeah, appreciate it. <laughs> all right, Steve. Uh, have a good one. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. So that will wrap up the over-the-phone portion of this interview, but uh, I did get a chance to sit down with Steve when we were still in Germany and Frankfurt. We got about 10 minutes with him uh, very early in the morning after a very late night, so he was very, very kind to uh, take that time, and it was greatly appreciated by me and everyone else who got a chance to chat with him. But we talk about the American mentality, or the lack thereof, potentially, as well as like areas of deficiency when it comes to technical development, uh, lots of other interesting topics in there in about a 10-minute chat. Uh, up front, you'll hear uh, me talk talking to Eddie. Eddie was the one who organized the tour. Uh, so thank you to Eddie as well. Thank you to Steve. And thank you to you for continuing to listen. So we're sitting with Steve Chirondolo, supervised by Eddie, I'm assuming. Eddie, is this to make sure I don't ask uh, horrifically inappropriate questions? That is correct. I shall do my best. Steve, uh, I wanted to start off with a, a basic one. We heard a lot about the Bundesliga yesterday. I'm wondering for you, how different is the Bundesliga today from the Bundesliga that you started in all those years ago? Um, I think if we just take the obvious fact of the attendance um, has risen over the past years and it's become more accessible to a lot of people um, or to, to Germans. And, you know, I just think the basic marketing strategy of the league has been fantastic. And it's, but they haven't, they haven't lost throughout all of that marketing. They haven't lost really the, um, the core meaning of the game is, is the fans, you know, we're there for the fans and the entertainment factor. And, the fans and the players are still very close, and I think in no other league in the world do you have that. Um, um, maybe the MLS, but I'm, I can't comment on that too much because I haven't seen a whole lot of games live. But um, the, as far as Europe goes, um, the Bundesliga and the fans are are very close, and that is to me the most attractive thing about the league, um, and I and I believe really the the means to success. And how good do you think the Bundesliga is or still is in terms of helping develop young talent and, for purposes of our show, specifically young American talent? It's a perfect spot for Americans to come. Um, the American, the average American player has a fantastic mentality, um, which is really appreciated here in Germany. So that's a step up for every single American who comes over here. They're appreciated by German coaches and the fans. They're technically sound, and they're physically capable to put up with the league. The fourth component of, of a player that you would need to, to succeed in the, in the Bundesliga is the tactical side of the games. But the German coaches and the clubs are so good on the tactical side of games that they will teach that to a young American player. So any player who's willing to learn a little bit about how to play German football will succeed and flourish over here. I heard you talk a little bit about that mentality yesterday. You mentioned it here. What do you think is the American mentality? And I guess the same question as earlier, how much has that changed, do you think, in recent years? The mentality is, is to me, pretty simple. Never give up. Um, fight until the end. And I defend my goal with everything I have. And at, at all costs, no matter what it costs, we want to win a game. So that winning mentality is, is um, very important in German football. Mm -hmm. And I think every American player that I grew up with, um, that I grew up watching, that I played with in the men's national team, that was very dominant. That was a very dominant trait. And I think, um, I think the younger generation now um, still has that. They just need to find it and bring it out more often or not. A lot of the game now is focused on the technical side. Um, and then you kind of 
lose a little bit of the mental side. So um, hopefully in the future, especially with the men's national team, we'll see more of that, that animal on the inside come out. And when you first came up, when you first uh, got your opportunity, what was the thing that was like that you really had to catch up on? What was the thing that was the hardest for you when you first came into Hanover training? Um, the speed of play and the the tactical side of the game was was pretty pretty new. So I was athletically very gifted and technically okay, um, <laughs> um, and I have the ability to learn quickly. So um, I think in the beginning I was I was running a lot, I was covering a lot of ground, and I was doing a lot of the dirty work. But it was not effective. It was just um, pure effort. And so over the years, I learned, okay, um, if I run there and do that, then I can't be there and where it's important. So I think over the years, I understood what's asked of a player and, and how to think your way out of a problem instead of run your way out of a problem. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a, a process that a lot of players go through when they first come over here. What, and in terms of tactics, were you kind of up on it from the beginning, or did that also take a little bit of adjustment from what you had experienced at your youth uh, club? Yeah, I had very good club coaches um, growing up with the San Diego Nomads. Um, at that time, it was La Jolla Nomads. And then uh, moving on to college with Clive Charles at University of Portland. So I was privy to good coaches, but they had asked different things for me that Hannah would ask for me. So um, there was, a, uh, there was a, a few shaky training sessions in the beginning, but uh, we're still here today, and we made it. And then the other thing we t- you talked a little bit about yesterday, which I felt like has particular rele- relevance today, is you started as a number six, you moved to a right back. There was talk uh, when Greg Berhalter first took over that Tyler Adams was going to do the same. That was met with much consternation and frustration. Does that feel like a natural transition for you to try central midfielders at right back? Absolutely. I think the attributes you need in a, at an outside back position, um, you need solutions um, very quickly because you have a line on one side and if you're deep in your own end you have a line on two sides and then an opponent coming the other way so your spaces and angles close down very rapidly um, and your options are few anyway because you're playing inside the field so um, I think the the uh, awareness that center midfielders have um, the technical ability that center midfielders have and the passing accuracy that they have are also attributes that an outside back needs the only additional things you need would be the physical capabilities to get up and down the line and 1v1 defending. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it. All right. That makes sense. And then throughout your career as you're playing for Hanover, the other thing I'm, I'm curious about is, like, how much contact is there from, from the Federation with you? Like, are, do you know they're keeping tabs? Are coaches calling? Are they texting? And from what you understand, has that process changed from when you were playing to today? Um, the connection uh, the, the, to me? Well, more so, like, like, all right, so when you're playing for Hanover, are you getting calls from Bruce Arena? Are you getting emails or from uh, Bob Bradley yeah. from Jurgen Klinsmann? Yeah, I think um, that varies from coach to coach. Mm-hmm. I think um, the connection with me in particular when I was playing in my career um, was very positive. Um, the door was always open. You know, I think some guys are more com- uh, communicative than others. I think Jurgen did an excellent job of keeping tabs, mostly uh, because the connection for him to, take, to keep in touch with German players or the German clubs is very easy for him. Um, yeah, when, when he would get in touch, was he speaking German with you or was he speaking English? Both, both. Okay. Um, around the U.S. national team, we spoke English, and then in a German environment, we would speak German to each other. That's interesting because there, there was some frustration with U.S. soccer about, like, there were some rumors that they were instructing coaches not to speak Spanish with their players. Was that a, a fairly open thing that Jurgen would sometimes speak German, sometimes speak English? Um, yeah, it was pretty open. I think it's it's also natural. I mean, it would be silly for, for Jurgen and for a player like uh, Jermaine Jones, who was born in Germany, uh, to speak English to each other. Yeah. I, I don't think that's I don't think that's natural. That's fair, <laughs> and, uh, and it's not not frowned upon at all. All right, and then 
for the current national team as it as it exists, I'm assuming you watch somewhat regularly, yeah. frequently. You've got a vested interest. What would you like to see from the U.S. going forward? How do you think they need to improve to get back to where they were? To me, um, I think I think the the next two years. Um, things need to be more about the results. So it needs to be result-oriented. So whatever it takes to win a game is, is what I'm looking for. Um, and uh, if that means more possession, then that means more possession. If that means less possession and more counterattacking, then that's that. Um, or if it just means hard-nosed defending. Um, I think the tools are there, and I just think that the, the direction um, will be guided by results in the next two years. And I think that is a, a pretty good indicator of how you're doing if positive results are um, regularly shown. And then in your opinion, from what you've seen and what you've heard, who are the players you think that could be instrumental in sort of leading the U.S. forward? Not necessarily the biggest names, not even necessarily the players playing in the Bundesliga, but the ones that you like, especially enjoy or think like, have that next level ability. Um, I, I personally believe the future belongs to, to a player like Tyler Adams. I think he's an essential part of the team. Um, now, um, unfortunately, he's injured. Um, but when he's fit and healthy, I think his mentality, I think his his way of thinking, his his uh, his humbleness, um, and his ability and willingness to improve um, are so important for the team. And to me, he would be, you know, the main focus. Um, and obviously, we cannot have this discussion and not not mention Kristen Pulisic. He's just so gifted talently, uh, so gifted on the offensive end, um, you need players to put the ball in the back of the net. Mm-hmm. And guys like Josh Sargent and Christian and maybe even Sebastian Soto, who gets a shot uh, moving forward with Hanover in the U.S. team, um, can be our regular goal scorers. With a player like Josh Sargent, are there things that you look at and say, like, oh, that's not quite there? Like, how do you evaluate those young players to know whether or not they're ready for those moments? So last year when we watched Josh play, and the Bundesliga had a few games, um, he was he was active. He was all over the place. He was he was trying to he was trying to uh, hold up the ball. He was trying to join into play. He was trying to defend, but he was always moving in places um, where goals are not scored. Mm-hmm. And so he was doing the dirty work for others. And I think what you see this year, and Josh has just figured that out. He's figured, okay, if I want to score a goal, I need to be in the box, and so I can't be running around everywhere. Um, and I think he's calmed down a little bit. I think he's settled down, and he's figured out how to be effective in a professional game. And that is the key to having success long-term as a forward in a professional league. That makes sense. Well, Steve Trundle, thank you very much for taking the time. I know you've got a busy day, a lot of interviews to do, and I very much appreciate you not uh, destroying me last night when you definitely could have. My pleasure.